Well, good morning, everybody. We're starting, as Terry said, with the book of Luke, so you know now what to read ahead each week, because you know what, we're going to be working our way through Luke. But I wonder how many of us enjoy the television programme Call the Midwife. Now, for those of us who are a bit older, it's nostalgia. I'm not saying that they were the good old days, because, I mean, obviously there was a lot of poverty and there was a lot of illnesses that they hadn't found cures for in those days. But without the internet and mobile phones, it was a simpler time. But I think the thing that makes the programme so popular is because we all like the joy of a new baby being born. What is fascinating and joyful in every episode is the miracle of birth. And yes, it is an everyday occurrence. There are almost 400,000 babies born every day, and every one is a miracle. There is a brand new human being who wasn't there before. So in the passage that we're going to look at today, we're looking at the conception of two babies even more miraculous than the ordinary, something that is out of the ordinary, something that only God could do. So first of all, we're going to look at the conception of John the Baptist. Now, I'm going to read this from the message translation because I think sometimes when you've got a very familiar passage, and this is normally read at Christmas time, but it's a very familiar, so I'm, I'm re reading the message because sometimes I think it helps just to get different words, you know, different, uh, a different translation. So I'm reading, first of all, from verses 5 to 7. During the rule of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest assigned service in the regiment of Abijah. His name was Zechariah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Together they lived honourably before God, careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive and now they were quite old. So we understand that Elizabeth was not able to have children. And when my uh, son-in-law died, the firm that he worked for created a special award. It's, um, the company thought so highly of him that they created an award in his name. So it's called the Seth Beckrek Award for Innovation. And my daughter has the honour and privilege of being chosen to go to a lunch every year and present the award to the winning candidate. So that's a, a very high honour indeed. So being chosen is humbling, it can be a bit scary, uh, but they're proud to be honoured in that way. So we can get some idea how Zachariah would be feeling on that day when he's been chosen for this very high privilege. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, I've never been chosen for any kind of a special honour. But let me remind us all, the Bible tells us that for those of us who love Jesus, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. John chapter 1 tells us, to all who received him, that is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And what more higher honour or greater privilege is there than that to be called a child of God? So, this for Zachariah. He's in the Holy of Holies, making an offering, and an angel appeared to him. The Bible tells us that he was paralysed with fear. As my grandmother would have said, he had a bit of a glyph. So, the story continues. The angel tells him not to fear, his prayers have been heard, and his wife would have a son, whom they are to name John. Now, 
It's unlikely that Zachariah had been praying for a child. It would have seemed ridiculous at their age. It's more likely that he had been praying for the redemption of Israel. And this child was to be the first step in the fulfillment of God's promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament. We read on. Zechariah has difficulty believing this. And in verse 18 he says, Do you expect me to believe this? I am an old man and my wife is an old woman. Because of that lack of faith, Zechariah is struck dumb. He goes back home and it wasn't long before his wife Elizabeth conceived, which leads to the birth of a baby boy. As soon as Zechariah writes down, his name is John, he's able to speak again, prophesying and praising God. What was seemingly impossible was not impossible with God. An extra miracle, because although this baby's conception was in the usual way, it could only have been through the grace of God because of the parent's age. Now, the next baby's birth we read about, even more miraculous. In fact, it is unique in history. Never before and never again has there ever been a baby like this one. So we're going to read verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph and the virgin's name, Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You are beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, But how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son, old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is, six months pregnant. Nothing, you see, is impossible with God. And Mary said, Yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you see. Then the angel left her. Now, we're all familiar with the Christmas story of Mary and Joseph, so why was this birth more miraculous than any other? Mary and Joseph weren't old, like Elizabeth and Zachariah. The amazing thing is that Mary was a virgin, and virgins do not conceive babies. Jesus was not conceived in the normal way. Some years ago, a bishop suggested that it wasn't necessary to believe in the virgin birth in order to be a Christian, but I would disagree with that. Some theologians have suggested that for Christianity to flourish in a scientific era, it would have to get rid of these kind of myths that are seemingly an insult to our intelligence. But if Joseph had been the biological father of the Lord Jesus, then Jesus would have inherited original sin. From the time of Adam, all of us are sinful beings. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, there is a nice symmetry in this. Death came initially by one man, 
and resurrection from death came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam. Everybody comes alive in Christ, but we have to wait our turn. Christ is first, then those with him at his coming, the grand consummation when after crushing the opposition, he hands over his kingdom to God his Father. He won't let up until the last enemy is down and the very last enemy is death. So if Jesus had Joseph's DNA, he could not have been the perfect sacrifice required for our salvation because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for our salvation. We recently had a family gathering and as I looked around the table at my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, I thought to myself, there are 10 people here who share my DNA, 10 people who would not be here if I had not lived. And you know, it was a Jimmy Stewart moment. But Jesus did not have Joseph's DNA. He was born of Mary and the Holy Spirit, both fully human and fully divine. I'm sure, however, that Joseph was a good stepdad, providing for Jesus and his brothers and sisters. Joseph worked hard at his carpentry business, and we know that he went with Mary on that trip to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12, when they went for a few days, he, Jesus was missing, when he was talking to the learned men. Joseph was there then. Now, my husband and I have both been married before, so Colin is stepdad to my two daughters. He has raised them and provided for them. And a few years ago, one of them sent him this card. It says, Fatherhood, it's in the love, not in the blood. And I think that was most likely true of Joseph. And I think Jules would probably say the same thing, having lost both of his parents. Colin has been like a dad to him. So fatherhood, it's in the love, not in the blood. And that really, I think, was mostly true of Joseph. I don't think that God would have chosen Joseph if he'd been an unkind father or a bad role model. So every birth is a miracle. But John's more so because of his parents' age. And the birth of Jesus, totally unique. Never before and never again, a baby both human and divine. God in the flesh. Of course, Joseph did have a choice when he learned that Mary was pregnant. The message says in verse 26 that Mary and Joseph were engaged, betrothed. But a betrothal in those days was much more binding than it is today. The custom at the time was that if a young man liked a girl, he would speak to his father, who would then speak to her father, and they would agree a bride price, a dowry, which would be paid by the groom's family. Then both families would get together, and the prospective groom would pour a cup of wine and pass it to the girl, saying, This is my covenant with you. I love you. Will you marry me? So she had a choice then. be very difficult to say no with both families sitting there looking at you, of course, but she did have a choice. To drink from the cup meant that she said yes. Now, many years later, when Jesus passed that cup at the Last Supper to his disciples, and note, there were four cups at a Passover meal, and Jesus chose the third cup, which was the cup of salvation. When he passed that cup to his disciples, he was saying, I love you. This is my covenant with you. Will you marry me? Will you commit to me? Every time we come to take communion and that glass of wine is handed to us, Jesus is saying, I love you. 
you are my bride, will you commit to me? If the girl drinks from the cup, then they are betrothed, but they don't stay together yet. The groom returns to his father's house, and he builds an addition to the house, ready for his bride to live in. So Jesus was saying to us in John 14, Trust me, there is plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that weren't so, would I not have told you? I'm on my way to get a room ready for you. I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. When the house is ready, the groom sets off with his best man and his groomsmen and a joyful procession, blowing of the ram's horns to claim his bride. Now, today, two songs that were sang at the beginning were all about the trumpet sounding for the return of the Lord. And I was thinking about the song, Living, He Loved Me, Dying, He Saved Me, that we sing. And the last verse in that is, One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one bringing. My saviour Jesus is mine. The bride doesn't know the day or the hour when the bridegroom will come, so she must always be ready for when he arrives to take her home. And one day that trumpet will sound for our bridegroom's arrival, and we need to be prepared and ready. A steward talked to us a couple of weeks ago. We need to be ready and living lives that are pleasing to him. We are betrothed, but we've not yet had the wedding. The Bible doesn't tell us if any of that happened with Joseph and Mary and their parents. We do know that Joseph had a choice to quietly get out of the betrothal, but after a dream in which an angel appears to him, he is convinced to go ahead with the wedding. A few weeks ago, Paul Badham's challenged us if we knew what our purpose is. Now, all of the characters in our story so far knew their purpose in the plan of God. Joseph, Mary, Zachariah, Elizabeth, all played their part and were obedient to what God had called them to do. And you know, sadly, it's when people feel that there is no purpose in life that they just give up. But Paul's challenge caused me some thinking. I thought much about it, like, what is my purpose? You know, what, you know before the pandemic, before lockdown, I volunteered and, and I was really busy. I volunteered in lots of things. But then after that, I didn't do anything. So I thought, what is my purpose? Certainly the simple answer is in the shorter Westminster Catechism, which puts it quite succinctly. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So is it my life, just in the ordinary, everyday, walking about, doing the normal things that you normally do? Is my life giving glory to God? And are we enjoying our relationship with him? Plus, is there a specific work he wants us to do? It's a question I'm still praying about. There are many volunteering opportunities and so many needs that surround us. I was reading recently where this lady was saying that she felt a bit overwhelmed by the needs of others and the demands on her time. And she wondered how Jesus had coped with all of the demands made on him in his human state. Because Jesus never got stressed. He never got hurried. But in reading the gospel, she realized that the Lord Jesus concentrated his attention on the one in his immediate vicinity. He just concentrated all of his attention on that person. So if we could love well and focus on the person in front of us, it could be a child, 
It could be a family member, a neighbour or a stranger. We could love them well by giving that person our full attention. And I was thinking about the old song, make someone happy, make just one someone happy and you will be happy too. I think that's a lot of truth in that one. So Joseph, Mary, Zachariah and Elizabeth weren't stupid. They knew how babies were made. They ideas that were suggested to them seemed impossible but that's the point Luke is showing us that God's salvation would and does come in seemingly impossible ways Jesus himself said in Luke 18 what is impossible with man is possible with God perhaps you are facing a seemingly impossible situation today the question is will we believe that God can do what he says he will do believing that God has accomplished his salvation through the work of Christ. We must also live each day confident that God will keep all of the promises he made to his people, that he will keep us and provide for us even in the darkest valleys. Zechariah and Mary, they were asked to believe the impossible. Zechariah took a little while to get there, whereas Mary could respond straight away, let it be with me as you say. Both of them responded with praise and thanksgiving to God, and God did the impossible. So let's trust him who is faithful and true with anything and everything, because he is the God of the impossible. I don't know whether Paul lost Paul this morning. Living lives that are worthy of our high calling, so that we are ready for that day when our beloved one will return for us to claim his bride. Amen.